Hello everybody and welcome. Welcome to my first podcast. Yes, my very first podcast episode. I must admit that this is a new venue for me. I have been accustomed to teaching in a classroom setting as well as in home settings or home group setting, um, but not in a setting such as this with a microphone in front of you and <laughs> not looking into the faces of people to gauge reactions and so forth. But I think that we can get through it. This is an appealing concept because it makes it a lot easier for my friends and different people who want to listen and join in. They can tune in when they can or when it's convenient for them just as it's not always easy for people to, you know, get together in one setting all at the same time and coordinating schedules and things of that nature. And I guess also this way, it can be distributed more easily and more readily available. So thank you for your patience if I sound a bit anxious, but be encouraged that I do expect it to radically improve once we get into the content in this case being Genesis, the book of Genesis, and the Bible, which is my favorite topic anyway. <laughs> so as we move into content, uh, I think it's going to be better. I'm sure it will be better for all of us. And speaking of the content, I would like to share with you a little bit about my journey of faith and what has brought me to this juncture, to this point of even doing a study on Genesis. Well, I believe I mentioned to you that I had been accustomed to teaching in classroom settings and in group settings, home group settings. And that is true. Back in 2009, I believe it was, from I think 09 to 2012, I co-taught a group of high school girls. They were ninth grade girls um, and I taught that class I believe or co-taught it for three years and it was wonderful I loved every minute of it and then a few years later being affiliated with the same church I taught uh, a group of women a women's Bible study class that was held on Sunday mornings and it was just wonderful as well and it just became clearer to me uh, as I went on with that, that not only did I enjoy just being a student of the Bible myself, but I really enjoyed teaching it as well. But now before I go any further into that, I'd like to just tell you a little bit about me. My name is Karen Fontenot. My, my mother called me Kay. The first time she saw me, she called me Kay. And I have been called K since I was an infant, although my name is Karen. I'm from Southwest Louisiana. I was born in Lake Charles, and I lived in Lake Charles, Louisiana until the age of 27. And a couple of months after my 27th birthday, I moved to Houston, Texas, and I have lived in the greater Houston area ever since. I was very blessed to grow up and be born into a family 
on both sides that really love the Lord. Uh, both sides of my family were strong Christians, families of faith, and as a matter of fact, um, my mother and my father grew up in the same Baptist church. They both were baptized and christened as infants in that church, and their parents all attended the church, the Baptist church, which I grew up in, and which my sister and I were also christened and baptized. And just to tell you a little bit about uh, the involvement of my family in that Baptist church, <clears throat> my my mother's parents, my mother's father was the church treasurer, and he was also a senior deacon. My father's father was an usher for many, many years. My father's mother was a soprano in the choir, in the women's choir, in which she served for over 50 years, and she also was a part of the women's auxiliary. My mother's mother was also a member of the women's auxiliary. In addition to those roles, my grandparents taught, you know, off and on, they taught Sunday school, they taught vacation Bible school, they taught maybe even Baptist training union. They were involved in church in just in almost every level. Um, when there were weddings at the church, if they didn't attend the wedding as, you know, as visitors, then they were helping with the reception and coordinating the food and just part of the church in every way. And then as my mother and father grew up in the church, they followed along the same, that same path. They were in Sunday school every Sunday. Uh, Bible school, BTU, Baptist Training Union, Sunday night service, and on and on it went. Baptist youth encampment and so forth. They sang in the choir. And then my parents married, were married in that church, and my sister and I were born, and we were christened and baptized in that same church. So I say all of that to say that not only were our fam oh, and I should also say that my mother was one of eight children born to her parents, and my father was one of five, or actually six, but the, their youngest child, my uncle Morris, only lived a few days. So my father being one of five, my mother being one of eight, but all of the siblings, so that's what, 13 on both sides, and all of them were in the church. So everybody on both sides of the family went to church. And, you know, it wasn't just a matter of going to church, but, you know, fearing the Lord and being a Christian was just really important and it was very meaningful 
to my whole family. And I have to say that to this day, I am so happy about that because it set my life on, well, the course that it is. And I believe where I am today is because of that rich legacy of faith, which I'm so happy for and really grateful for it all the time. Which is another reason that I am doing this podcast because sadly, uh, a lot of families are in far too many families that legacy of faith and church attendance and involvement has been broken. Uh, I represent the third generation in my family and that I'd like to see that continue on. Uh, we don't want to go first generation and second and then the third drops off and things of that nature. But um, these legacies of faith and bringing the love of and knowledge of scripture and relationship with Christ from generation to generation is something that I believe should be strengthened, especially in these times and not made weaker. But anyway, my sister and I had our, not only did we have our own individual Bibles, but we also had the children's Bibles, the large hardback Bibles, you know, with the color pictures and just beautiful Bibles in which we each was broken down into stories that our parents would read to us before we could read and then once we were able to read we would read the stories ourselves and um, and then when my sister and I entered our teenage years my mother became involved in or she became a student of of some of the great Bible teachers of that time which um, which we knew to be the charismatic movement or charismatic removal charismatic renewal <laughs> movement and great teachers of faith uh, she'd listen to teachers like Dr. Kenneth Hagan Marilyn Hickey uh, Charles Capps Roy Hicks uh, John Osteen and Dodie Osteen Dr. T.L. and Daisy Osborne, Lester Summerall, you know, um, Dr. Frederick Price. I mean, great Bible teachers, some of the greatest of the last century. And she would go to the camp meetings. Uh, she'd buy the books and the tapes. And she would go to the camp meetings and bring all their tapes and books home and then she would play the tapes we call they were um, cassette tapes at that time but she played the tapes at the, at the house and they were a big part of our life and she also had a set of uh, actually two full sets of the Bible on cassette tape and I think she had one that was uh, what the narrated by Alexander Scorby and then she had the other that I think was a dramatized version but she'd play that she'd play those uh, the Bible on cassette every morning while she was getting ready for work so this was a very very big part of our lives and I will admit I have to be honest about it that 
I was, you know, a snotty, bratty, silly teenager, and sometimes I'd go into my mother's room at times and go with a side eye or an eye roll saying, oh, there she is with that Bible again. There she is with the Bible tapes and those teaching tapes of those preachers. Here we go, you know, and silly things of that nature. But suffice it to say, despite the attitude that I would give her sometimes, those teachings went deep into my heart, and I am very grateful to them to this very day. And then a, number, a few years later, after a the relatively short stint that I spent in college at the local university, I went to work at a Bible bookstore in Lake Charles. And I worked there for five years. And for usually, I would say that 90% of the time when I was on shift at the store, I was the only employee there. So I had to have a good knowledge of the inventory and not just what was in the store, but especially in the Bibles and reference materials section, I had to know, um, I had to have a good grasp and a knowledge of the reference materials and all the different Bibles so that I could, you know, point the customers to uh, what they would, the best Bible or reference guide that they would need, depending on what they would say to me. So. Uh, and again, I worked there for five years, so all of these things led to um, a true and a genuine love, um, not only for God and for Jesus Christ and His Word, but also for the Scriptures. Well, I guess the Scriptures and the Word would be the same thing, but I had a desire to go deeper into the things of God. Then, I uh, can fast forward a number of years later when my mother became ill. Her faith and all of the things that she taught me with regard to faith and prayer and the Lord Jesus Christ and the things that she imparted to me in her Christian walk when she became ill, those, all of the aspects of, of, of the faith became that much more important to me. And in fact, they became and is now the most precious part of my life. Which now brings me to about three years ago, and I'll say what led me to this study of Genesis. About three, or I would say four years ago, I began to see some things in my Bible study. And it didn't matter which part of the Bible that I was reading, whether the Old Testament or New, it didn't matter which, that I started seeing some things. It almost didn't matter where I was in the Bible. I'd read about certain things and I'd say, wait a minute, doesn't Genesis say something about that? Or, I'll give you an example. One day I was reading in um, 2 Kings chapter 6 about Elisha. 
uh, with the Syrian army surrounding his house uh, and, and the city that he lives in, Dothan. And he was with his servant as the Syrian army surrounds his house and he prays in verse 18 of chapter 6, he asks God to smite the men of the Syrian army with blindness. And I, it occurred to me, well, hold on a minute. Didn't that happen back in Genesis? And sure enough, it did. In, in the 19th chapter of Genesis, we see where Lot's house was surrounded. Uh, all of the men of the city of Sodom surrounded Lot's house trying to beat the door down so they could get a hold of the uh, visiting angels or the angels who were inside Lot's house. And the angels in that situation smote all of the men with blindness so that they could no longer see their way to the door. That's Genesis 19 and verse 11. And so I said, oh my goodness. Well, no wonder Elisha, of course, being a prophet and being, you know, a student to the of the Torah, well, he knew about the account in Genesis, so he clearly knew that he could pray for the army to be struck with blindness temporarily, and that he knew that that prayer would be answered because uh, the precedent was already set in Genesis. And then in another case, uh, studying, reading of the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, in verse 22, Jesus says, among other things, But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Now, Jesus was speaking in reference to murder, and he tied it to anger. Well, that, of course, he was taking us back to Genesis where, where we see that one man, Cain, was angry with his brother, Abel, without a cause, and he murdered him. And I thought, oh my goodness. And I could tell you other examples, but there were just so many things doctrines that I would see in the Bible and I'd go, well, I, we, see, we saw that as well in Genesis. And another comes to mind right now that I will just briefly speak of, and it is when Jesus uh, healed the blind man, when he took him outside the city uh, and spat on the ground and made a paste or a putty of the clay there, and he put it on the man's eyes and healed him healed his eyes of the blindness. And I thought, oh my. Well, that's the same thing he did back in Genesis when he created the man in the first place. And at that point, I knew that that was it. I said, I am going to have to just go back to Genesis and I'm going to have to do a verse-by-verse -verse study and go through it. And I said, because if these are just the handful of things that I see there must be a whole lot more, and it has been thrilling. And in the course of time, I came into possession of some literature that I 
that supported what I was thinking uh, about the book of Genesis in its context to the rest of the scripture. And I would love to read a couple of these, uh, a couple of quotes to you now. The first is from Dr. E.W. Bullinger, who is the author of the Companion Bible. Well, he's not the author of the Bible. The Bible is uh, the authorized translation, authorized version, but he is the author of the uh, companion notes and uh, some Hebrew and Aramaic uh, and Greek uh, words, along with his scholarly commentary. So he, that is what he is the author of, and he is quoted about Genesis. I'd like to read to you what he said. Quote, Genesis is the seed plot of the whole Bible. It is essential to the true understanding of its every part. It is the foundation on which divine revelation rests and on which it is built up. It is not only the foundation of all truth, but it enters into and forms part of all subsequent inspiration and is at once the warp and woof of Holy Writ. Genesis is quoted or referred to 60 times in the New Testament and divine authority is set like a seal on its historical facts. Close quote. That's Dr. E.W. Bullinger. Then I'd like to read to you from Dr. David L. Cooper, who's president and founder of the Biblical Research Society. And he actually, I'd love to tell you, read some more about him, but that is just far too much to mention. He is a very learned scholar, uh, long list of accomplishments, but his name is Dr. David L. Cooper. And of Genesis, he writes this, quote, the book of Genesis is the seed plot of every doctrine found in the scriptures, for every doctrine is found there in simple form. Dr. David L. Cooper. Dr. Cooper also says this about the law of first mention. Quote, the law of first mention may be said to be the principle that requires one to go to that portion of the scriptures where a doctrine is mentioned for the first time and to study the first occurrence of the same in order to get the fundamental inherent meaning of that doctrine. So with Genesis being the book of beginnings, it has the distinction among other things of being chock full of a lot of first mentions. I would like to mention one in particular is to the first mention of the word grace. And it is mentioned in Genesis 6, 8. And it is said that, quote, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And of course, that is in the, we see previous to that, we read that 
uh, you know, all flesh had become corrupted in the earth and men had become fully wicked with all wicked thoughts, just a terrible situation. And God, scripture says that he was grieved at his heart that he had ever created the man. And he said that he would have to, he decides that he has to destroy man. But then he goes on to say of Noah, but Noah found grace. So, and that word grace in the Hebrew is chen, spelt uh, C-H-E-N. So it's shen, chen, not sure if I am pronouncing it correctly, but it is translated grace, kindness, goodwill. And so grace is provided and it's granted to Noah and his family to the end that they are preserved and they are not destroyed with the wicked. And thus, the principle is established for all time, the wonderful grace of God, that God's grace saves all who believe on him. It preserves us and saves us from wrath. And Abraham, later on in the book of Genesis, alludes to this same principle when he uh, has a very bold conversation with the Lord in the 18th chapter when uh, God visits Abraham and he, before he leaves him, he goes on to say that, well, Abraham is my friend, so I'm going to share with him what I'm doing. And he told him that about the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah that had come up before him. And he says, I believe that I'm going to have to destroy these cities. And Abraham quite boldly says to him, uh, yes, but will you destroy, will you destroy the, the righteous along with the wicked? That's Genesis 18 and verse 25. He said, for you are the judge of all the earth, and will you not be right, or will you not do right? And far be it from you to destroy the righteous with the wicked. And indeed, we see that God sends his angels into Sodom and Gomorrah, when indeed it sadly comes to be that there are not enough righteous in the cities to spare the place that his angels go and yet they rescue Lot and his family out of the city and in fact there comes a point where Lot begins to drag his feet and dilly-dally he doesn't as though he doesn't really want to leave and the angel grabs Lot by the arm and he pulls him out of the city and he says to him get out he said, you must get out. And he went on to say, for I cannot, not I will not, but I cannot destroy the cities while you are here. Wow, isn't that wonderful? The wonderful grace of God, where again, we see that the righteous are not destroyed with the wicked. And then we see the principle of grace being fulfilled again 
in Jesus Christ, as it's written in John, Gospel of John, chapter 1 and verse 17, for the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And then further on in Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, tells us that, but God has quickened us together with Christ. By grace we are saved and has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So the beautiful principle of grace, the wonderful grace of God, starting in Genesis with the righteous being saved from wrath, not being destroyed with the wicked, and then completed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I think this will suffice for our introduction and to tell you just a bit about what we will be doing and the purpose of our study of Genesis. And thank you for joining me. I hope you'll join again as we go through what, again, I call this adventure of a lifetime, studying Genesis. Genesis.